you know, that's where I had to take a pause from going to masterminds, traveling. Like I really wasn't, you know, hunting and, and, and getting leads a whole lot because I'm like, dude, I got to fix my fulfillment first. I got to, yeah. I, I got holes in my operations. I need to fix that first. And then I'm going to feel good about, you know, bringing in some new business. Great experiences build great leaders. Great leaders build great teams. This is Building Great Sales Teams. All right, guys, welcome back to Building Great Sales Teams. I got my man here, Daniel Blue. He is a running machine, first of all. Uh, first off, he's the owner of Quest Education. It's a company that helps entrepreneurs obtain capital for their companies. They've done seven figures multiple times over now. He's a keynote speaker, a podcast host also of the podcast, How Winners Win. And like I said, he's a running machine. Daniel, welcome to the show, brother. Doug, I appreciate the intro on both sides you had a, a really cool well-produced intro to begin with and then uh, appreciate the wise words or the the, yeah. the, um, the the words that you spoke very highly of me so th thank you absolutely and so uh was it your birthday or trevor's birthday that y'all ran like was it like 47 miles or something like that yeah man it was it was his birthday and uh i literally have the picture right here i, I keep it in my That's desk awesome. on my desk yeah, it was, uh, it's crazy. It was, uh, June 3rd of last year when we were in apex at, uh, MDM, when we, when I went, made that commitment to, to make the, the 38 mile run happen. Man, that is, you know, I did, I did a marathon last year and I definitely would not have done that without Trevor in my ear constantly. Yeah. Every time that we met up for the RBO meetups, just, just some context here, Daniel and I met in apex. And then um, we also hooked up a couple of times for the RBO masterminds. He was a guest speaker there. And, uh, and, and, sent, and in that mastermind is Trevor <laughs> Cowley, who like, it, you just can't hang out with the dude without getting roped into running 37 miles like my guy Daniel here. So what was that like, man? What was the mental, mental journey doing that like? Man, it just really reminded me when you set a goal that that scares you, a lot can happen because, man, the the mental part and the physical physical part definitely had a lot of doubt. So just so the audience knows and they have full context, so it's June third, we're in Dallas. It's really humid, right? Summer, Dallas, really humid, and it's my birthday. So for my birthday, you know, Trevor is not the kind of guy to like go out and grab drinks. It's like, hey, let's go get a workout in. So for for my birthday, we ran from the hotel to Lifetime Gym to get a workout in. And it was like a mile there and a mile back. Mm -hmm. And I just remember being pretty winded. And he was telling me, he's like, yeah, man, my birthday's next month. I'm going to run 30, 38 miles for my birthday. And, you know, Trevor and I go back. So we're, we're pretty competitive. We talk a lot of shit to each <laughs> other playfully. I'm like, dude, I, I got to do this too. Like, I can't let you just one up me. Like, if you're going to do it, like, I'm going to do it too. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm in. He's like, okay, cool. So then I left Dallas with the plan of, okay, I'm going to run 38 miles in six weeks. Like, what, what does that look like? And luckily I was surrounded by a few people. It's, it's interesting. Like once you almost like identify as a runner, next thing you know, you're attracting runners in your life. Like mm -hmm. I was at the gym the next week 
I ended up rubbing shoulders with someone that ran like 30, 40 miles in their sleep. And they're kind of giving me some good tips. So basically what it looked like, Doug, is like that first week or two, I only ran maybe like a maximum of like six, seven, eight miles. Like I just was slowly progressing. Mm -hmm. And then I think it was about week three. I was about three weeks out. I had six weeks to prepare. So right. about three weeks out from the 30 mile run, I did my very first 20 mile run. I don't remember. It was like it was yesterday, man. It was mile 18. And I'm doing this in the summer in Las Vegas, right? Where it's like 6 a.m. and it's still like dry heat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I start cramping up at mile 18. I had to call my wife. I was like, babe, like I'm dying. Like, can you come pick me up? And I ended up just hitting a wall and I, I, I just dropped out of the run. I, I couldn't finish it. So like I went into that 38 mile run having ran maybe 22 miles because the next time mm -hmm. I ran a lot, I did 22 miles, but I hit a lot of, a lot of bumps in the road where I'm like, man, can I really do this? And uh, it, it's, it's interesting what the body can do, you know, once you put yourself in the environment to make it happen. And, you know, we were able to, uh, you know, run the 38 miles without losing a leg and uh, we were good. <laughs> it turns out you survived, right? So I, I know a big part of that is fueling yourself too along the way, you know, and it, it's funny because it is a metaphor for life and, and for business. Like you have to constantly be fueling yourself, whether it's an education, motivation, or the, you know, the skills that you need to execute. So uh, that's how I kind of felt about the marathon. It was just like this constant eating and drinking. And especially when you come to the end, because I know what you're talking about at mile 18. I mean, all the doubt creeps in. You're like, it's it's like eight more miles is like long enough to give up, but it's also short enough to where you can't give up. You know what I mean? Like you've come this far. And so you're literally pushing your body way further than it, it wants to go. I mean, yeah. I remember I remember cramping up and like at mile 18 and basically being like, How am I gonna run another eight miles with these cramps? But I somehow managed to do it. Yeah, respect to you for, I know you got up to a marathon pretty quickly and, you know, I weigh 180 and I know you've got some bigger guns. Over there, so, <laughs> yeah, know, we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, the, the heavier, heavier you are, you know, it's, yeah. I, I always look at, you know, and, and no offense to anyone that fits this category because yeah. it's just, it is what it is. Like a runner that's 140 pound male with like no muscle and they're just a twig. And that's just a lot easier than running a marathon compared to someone that's like 200 pounds and jack. So mm -hmm. I always have respect for people like you that, you know, just got more muscle. They got more, uh, you know, bone, uh, more meat on the bone. So um, what I was going to say, though, is when Trevor and I were running, we hit a really big wall, like mile 28, where he and I just had to like stop. And yeah. the RVs behind us because we're in the middle of Utah. Right. We started the run at midnight in July. And we had an RV tailing us. And I remember about mile 28, 29, like we just stopped. Like we both had to like, just like start walking. Yeah. Okay. I got to catch my breath. And isn't it so wild how at mile 28, I felt like I had a zero in the tank. And then man, it was crazy when I got to mile 35, 36, 37, dude, I felt alive. Like I felt yeah. like I was like, dude, I can run all day. Like, this is great. I have so much energy. So yeah. it's kind of like the highs and lows of life. You know, there's a lot of parallels between running and, uh, and life in general and business too. No, I couldn't agree more. And just the fact that you went from zero to 38 in six weeks is, is, is crazy, you know, but again, power of the mind, power of the human body. That's amazing, man. So I also wanted to tell you congrats. I saw that you just got published in Forbes yet again. You're like a Forbes writing machine now from what I see. 
And so can you kind of walk us through how do you even get an opportunity to do that? And then what, what are they looking for in order for you to get that kind of uh, opportunity to, to publish in their website or their magazine? Yeah, so I think we can tie this into a few different things okay. because uh, I know you and I come from the mastermind world mm-hmm. and I know a lot of your audience maybe can resonate with this. Yeah. So I think it's really easy, especially in 2023, where you want to have your hands in a lot of different things, right? You mm-hmm. want to do real estate, you want to do crypto, you're you know, a sales guru, uh, you do Airbnbs, and, th- and that's cool. Like Respect to people that have that ability and they're making money in different ways. I bet there was one way, though, that they really got good at making money and then that allowed them to create multiple streams of income and some mm-hmm. of the things that you know i saw that didn't work in other masterminds is people that would always change what they did and yeah. i'm not as far along as maybe some of the listeners or some of the guests that you've had but i just stay in my lane like i'm not quite there where i can be like yeah i own 100 units right or right. yeah i have five businesses in my portfolio no I, I own Quest Education. Uh, I've been in business for five years. I've got 11 employees. We've got a mm-hmm. thousand customers in all 50 states. I stay in my lane, like self-directed 401k and IRAs. That is my jam. That is my mm-hmm. bread and butter. If you come to me and you're like, hey, I need help with my estate plan. Like, I am not going to be like, well, you know, let's talk about your trust or your will. Like, I'm not going to act like I know everything. No, I, I right. got a guy. Right. I say that a lot. Like, hey, I, this is a great company. Go check them out. Mm-hmm. Do your own research and due diligence. Like, I, I'm not gonna, I can't bet these companies out because I have my own business. Right. But go check out these resources. But the point okay. I'm trying to make, Doug, is what made it easier for me to get published in different places is I talk about something very specific mm-hmm. and I have some credibility where I've been doing it for a decent amount of time. Right. right. And I think if you can identify a place in your life where, okay, it is sales. It's teaching people how to do sales. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Like focus on that, not for six months, right? Not for a year, but right. get really good at that over a period of time. You know, I've been in the self-directed retirement account space since 2014, mm-hmm. I've my own business for five years. So I've been in this space now for almost 10 years. Um, I really feel like to really get good at something, you probably need to be in that space for at least five, seven, 10 years. And and I know that's probably not backed up by facts. It's more of my opinion. Right. Um, but I think when you, to answer your question, Doug, is when you focus and you drill down and you go deep instead of, uh, you know, wide, mm-hmm. then it's easier to get uh, opportunities to be noticed, um, yeah. you know, to get published. Because uh, basically the Forbes, you know, there's just councils, right? Like they have the finance council, the business council. I just approached it where it's like, hey, I'm in the finance space. I think I'd be a really good writer in the finance world. Here yeah. are some of the things I've done before. You can check me out. And mm-hmm. okay, cool. You like me? Awesome. Let me start writing for you guys. Yeah, 100%. No, and I I, I couldn't agree more. I've uh, come across those crossroads several times where it's like, okay, I could do this other thing because I do it really well in my business. And that and that's what happened, right? 13 years building sales teams. And so that was my niche. That was my thing that was super deep. And then of course, like, all right, you know, we got the podcast going now and we crush it at that. We got um, uh, uh, a large VA team and they're putting out crazy amounts of content, you know what I'm saying? And so there's other, there's all these other opportunities, but what ended up happening and I, and I love what you said earlier, like you started running and you started attracting runners. And so I posted a, a t-shirt design this morning that said, if you build it, they will come. Right. And so 
I thought about this design because, uh, you know, I went through a, a, a brand build, I guess you could say with one of my consulting partners and, um, in going through that, we really identified what I do and the message behind it. Right. So the, the, the message was, you don't need better salespeople. You need a better sales program. Right. And so by saying, if you build it, they will come. The idea is if you build a better sales program, the right kind of salespeople you need will come, you know? And so, but there's, there's, there's also a biblical reference to that, right? Noah's Ark, if you build it, they will come that whole deal. And so I think that has so much to do with not, not just the biblical part of it, but the energy based part of it. Right? So you put it out into the universe that you were going to run 38 miles. You started running. Now you're a runner. That energy is emitting off of you. It's attracting other runners, you know? And I, and I think the same thing, the same thing happens, you know, and that's why I put that shirt out there and it's like, you go deep into your niche, like you were talking about, and you're going to start attracting people that need that, you know what I'm saying? And, and in your case, it was forge, right? Okay. So let's pivot a little bit into your niche. So a lot of the people that listen to this are, you know, salespeople, sales managers, or they own sales organizations or have sales centric businesses, maybe home service businesses. Right. And, um, let's just say they, they make their first 200 K this year, they got 20 K in savings. Let's assume that their taxes are paid. What are they doing with that money or what are they setting up to make sure that they're going to have something at the end of the rainbow? Yeah. So I'm a really big proponent of having tax-free money. Right. Like tax free money, whether you like Joe Biden, you like Trump, right? I think we all can agree we all like tax free money. Yeah. Right. So, how do you get tax free money? There's different ways, right? The way that I am familiar with that essentially everyone can participate in is setting up what's called a, a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k. And that's basically the money that you contribute into that account, you pay taxes on it one time. So, let's just say you put $5,000 into that Roth IRA or Roth 401k one time, you pay taxes on it. That 5,000 is taxable income, but let's just say over a period of time, that 5,000 grows to $15,000. Well, that 15,000 is 100% tax-free, right? So you paid taxes on the seed, but not the harvest. And that's how a lot of the, the savvy people that you know are in a position of having just more financial freedom financial independence compared to other people is they just know the game right mm -hmm. and you know I'm a, I'm a big believer in having different buckets of money right you've got your bucket of money that's like your bank account money like money that's liquid that's really accessible and maybe you've got another bucket of money that has real estate right it's not as liquid right it's a hard asset and maybe it's giving you some rental income and then maybe you've got a, a bucket of money in like an insurance policy, like it's got some cash value, death benefit if you die. Cool. Uh, I think there's also a place to have that bucket of money, that that down the road money. And that's that Roth money where really that's the money that you can start playing with without dealing with penalties uh, mm -hmm. when you're over 59 and a half. So the entrepreneurs that are listening to this that maybe are a sole proprietorship or they're crushing it selling, making 1099 income or have an LLC. Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of you qualify for what's called a solo 401k and, and you can contribute well over $60,000 a year. And imagine if you were to put, you know, $50,000 a year into a Roth solo 401k and you mm -hmm. did that for three years straight, 
now you've got $150,000 that you've put into this Roth bucket of money. And that $150,000, what if it grew to a half a million dollars over the years, right? And everything I'm talking about, I'm not saying it's going to happen next year or the year after, right. but I'm pretty sure over a long period of time, right, taking 150000 and turning it into a half a million, that's not like, oh, my gosh, this guy's talking out of his ass. Like, this is a get-rich-quick scheme. No, right. right? I mean, over 10, 15 years, like, super doable to make some really, really good returns, right, when you hold on to assets that appreciate. But where I'm going with this, the, the, the point I'm trying to make is it's not that hard to have or take it back. It's easier to have that half million dollars, that million dollars of tax free money than you actually think it is. And, mm -hmm. and it's just knowing the tools to, to make it happen. Well, it, it's not that hard. And and I guess that's the problem, too. It's not that sexy. You know what I'm saying? No. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> so I'm compared like, why do I start? A business in money, like dude. Like sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I was just selling ice cream or pizza. Yeah, like, everyone loves that. Yeah, exactly. But that's 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 part of the problem that we get trapped, myself included. You know what I mean? Um, a couple of years ago, I I basically came into a large amount, and I say came into it. I put together a a large amount of money to invest into solar, right? And it turns out I didn't need as much as I thought I did, so. Basically, I, I invested the rest and it was crypto. It was, um, you know, these real estate uh, investments, a lot of real estate investments and then syndications, right? Real estate syndications. So everything but the syndications did really well. And um, and I think that's a testament to the, the least sexy investment did the best. So these syndications were in land and then a, uh, I mean, you know, Brandon, Brandon Brittingham's uh group that knows what the heck they're doing they've been doing it for 10 years but again it's you know 10 to 13 percent annually you know what i mean it's it's basically boring quarterly checks there's no thousand percent increase in one year or there's no you know 50k flip on 100 grand you know what i'm saying and so i think that's part of the problem is you know guys my age and younger especially we just like we want that quick money you know what i mean and 401k, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking right away, that's like, you know, the thing that you get and kind of forget about, you know, which is great when it comes to money, but I think that's part of the problem, right? And that's the awareness that we need to raise in this episode is like, what you're talking about is actually can be sexy too, right? I think you, you were the one that told me about this, that you can actually do real estate investments with some of these tools that you're talking about. Yeah. Like I was literally just uh, talking with the uh someone that's really big in the land space. He uh, mm -hmm. like helps people buy land deals out in like retirement communities, buying land for like 10,000, 15,000, right? Like these you know, quarter acre plots and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, so basically what someone can do is when they have, let's just say a, a 401k from an old job or an IRA, and it's with Fidelity, it's with Vanguard, it's in a Wall Street company, they can technically convert that money into a self-directed account. And in that self-directed account, now they have land that that self-directed account owns right and if they buy and you know, hold on to that land and flip it and, and they make you know 100 return over a period of time all of those gains there's there's no taxes claimed right there's no income claim right so they can use their self-directed account to own a property um, they can do use their self-directed account to you know invest into a syndication uh, they mm -hmm. can invest into crypto they can hold precious metals 
they can invest into a, a tequila uh, company. Like I was actually just talking to, you know, one of the guys in, in our masterminds and he was telling mm-hmm. about uh, the sweet tequila company that's just crushing it. That's going to go public. Like you can hold private equity in a self-directed account, right? Like if you're a 401k or IRA that's held at Fidelity and you called your, your financial advisor, like, hey, you know, I want to invest into this apartment complex in North Carolina. Can you help me? They'd be like, mm-hmm. no, but here's this stock. That's in real estate that we can sell you. So, you know, a lot of people don't even know they can use their retirement account penalty and tax free to invest in their own business. Right. So there's a lot of ways where it gets sexier and sexier uh, besides just having your retirement account own, you know, this mutual fund that Dave Ramsey told you about. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) The Dave Ramsey joke at the end. Yeah. I love it, brother. Um, And, and, but that's the biggest deal, right? Is you, you invest it or you put it into the 401k, you invest it and then you don't pull it, you know, and that's the hardest part, especially for entrepreneurs. You know what I mean? Cause we are always looking for ways to reinvest back into our business, but this is money that literally you're building your retirement with or your investment portfolio with. Okay. So with, you know, in doing that business, y'all have hit seven figures two years in a row now. What are y'all excited about now? Is it run the same play and scale or is, is there a different way you're going to market? You're bringing in leads. Where, where do you feel like is the play right now for 2023 and 24 in terms of lead generation in the financial space? Yeah. I mean, I'll just keep it 100, you know, because I feel like with our relationship and I would be mm-hmm. doing your, your audience a disservice if I just made it sound like it's all unicorns and, and rainbows. So, <laughs> you know, I, I would say what's interesting is I had a friend that told me something that keeps me going a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was complaining to him about a year where we lost money. And yeah. he's just like, dude, quit being a bitch. He's like, year one in business, you're going to get kicked in the dick. And hopefully, mm-hmm. you don't, you know, I, I can, I can use that word. You're right? uh, year, <laughs> year two, you're going to get kicked in the same spot again. Yeah. It's like year three, you'll get kicked, but it won't be as hard. He's like, and then year four and year five, it just gets better and better. So that made sense to me, but then it also didn't because uh, year one for us, like we did really, really well. Uh, I think just things, some, some things happened that made it work that way. Um, and then, you know, year two was okay. Year three and year four rough. So mm-hmm. we're kind of coming out of that right now. We can blame COVID. We can blame whatever we want. Um, but I don't think a lot of entrepreneurs really talk about this a whole lot because maybe it's just not fun um, because it's not fun to talk about, but it's a reality. But, you know, we've been having to, you know, deal with a lot of different um, challenges in the sense of like I had a partner breakup that was just terrible. Like I was in three years worth of litigation. I remember that, um, yeah. You know, paying an attorney $500 an hour for three years. I do that. That sucks. Right. So, you know, when you're dealing with uh, attorneys and you're dealing with COVID, um, you know, in COVID 2020 and 2021, um, the government made it to where people could take their retirement accounts penalty and tax free. And it was only for that year. And that was like unprecedented. Like that's never happened before. Mm -hmm. That's what sells. Like when we're marketing to people, right? Like, Hey, we're actually going to access your money, retirement, account, your retirement account penalty and tax free. And the government was like, nah, you Gave can it do away. that because of COVID. <laughs> yeah. like, what, what do you mean, man? Like, that, that's that's our slogan, right? Yeah. So, like, that sucked. That hurt our, our lead flow that year. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I, li I lost a couple of, of key people, key, key personnel in my operations department. Mm -hmm. And I was at a point, Doug, where I had a choice. I either go pay top talent and I bring somebody in to run my fulfillment, run my operations, mm -hmm. or I jump into that machine and then I go from there. And there's two reasons why I decided to jump in my operations. One, I was really up for a challenge. I'm a sales guy. Like sales yeah. is what I've done my whole life. Like 18 years old, my very first job, one of my first jobs was just calling 150 people a day, getting told no, cold calling. And I did well with that. And so, so sales mm -hmm. is just who I am and what I do. So operations, I never really knew that part of my business. I always hired people to do that. And yeah. cash flow was pretty tight. This was last year. So I was like, you know what? Let me jump in this. And dude, that, that really sucked, Doug. It sucked because I was so used to selling. And now I had to go over SOPs and processes and logistics and operations. And it was a big learning curve, man. I really felt like I went to school. Like I, I really, I got home from school or from, from work. I just remember telling my wife, I'm like, dude, my brain is fried. Like I'm using this part of my brain I never used before. Yeah. And it probably took a good five months, four months for me to get through all that. And man, like it's so much better now because now I know so much more about my business than I knew before. And yeah. I've been able to, to retool that department, hired a couple new people. And the best part about it, Doug, is now I can hold that department accountable because I know all the measurables. I know exactly what it takes to do this task. Mm -hmm. My sales process, my sales team, I've always known that. Like I know how long it takes to get on the phone with a cold lead. I know yeah. how long it takes for you to update your CRM after you talk to that lead. I know how long, how many calls it takes for you to close a deal because I've done it, but my operations, my fulfillment, I didn't know everything. I just trusted people and not that those people were there to screw me over. Um, but ultimately I'm doing my business a disservice as the owner, as the captain of the ship. if mm -hmm. I don't know every part of my business. Yeah. And that was probably one of the biggest lessons that I got over the last six months as I was going through some really tight months, Cash flow was rough. Um, and my sales got hurt because I was business development. I was lead yeah. gen. So, you know, that's where I had to take a pause from going to masterminds, traveling. Like I really wasn't, you know, hunting and, and, and getting leads a whole lot because I'm like, dude, I got to fix my fulfillment first. I got to, yeah. I, I got holes in my operations. I need to fix that first. And then I'm going to feel good about, you know, bringing in some new business. So, now, all of that, and it was a really, really good lesson. So hopefully, you know, there's maybe someone listening to this podcast that, you know, has a business where it's like, okay, ask yourself, your operations, your fulfillment department, your service department, like, do you know all the boring stuff? Do you know exactly yeah. how long it takes to do ABC? Do you have SOPs for ABC? If you hire somebody, do you actually have like a, a video curriculum where that, VA or that new person can watch those SOPs and pick up where, you know, people last left off. And I didn't have a lot of those six mm -hmm. months ago. And I do now. It's, it's so funny because you're just describing the flip side of my career. Right. And so basically I started out in entry level door-to-door uh, -door sales and I had to knock doors for 90 days, but I started out as the general manager of the company because my previous uh, partner wanted me to take it over and see if I can get it back to black. And, and I didn't know it at the time, but my strong suit was operations, you know? And so I took it, I took an operation stance on everything and I did exactly what you just said. I developed a curriculum training systems, all of that around it. And then I recruited people to come into sales 
right? And then for most of my career, I trusted them to run the sales, you know, but it made my machine very, very, uh, I, I don't know how to describe it, fast food. We'd have a lot of fast food wins, you know, that wouldn't last, but the operations always held it up. We always recruited like crazy. We always had new people coming in. So even though we had a high turnover, it kind of like didn't matter because our operation was running so tight, you know? So now that's what I do for companies is I, I bring in the operations, you know? And so, I mean, that's just a, a great story and a great point because so much of us entrepreneurs are sales centric and so much of us create our seven figure business through sales. And then we don't even realize, Hey, there's a whole operations piece. Even if you have like a third party company or different products that you sell and they're fulfilling really, even, even just customer um, account management and recruiting. And then, like you said, the training pieces of it, when, when a, a sales centric entrepreneur has to start doing that stuff, it gets real uncomfortable real fast. So kudos to you for getting in there and just going through that pain every day of doing stuff you didn't want to do. But isn't it, isn't it funny how that when we come out on the other side of that, that's where you are now. Yeah. I, uh, my philosophy is I do think you can wing it to an extent and do mm -hmm. seven figures, right? Like if you have a good offer and you have the ability to solve someone's problem, and you have a good sales team mm -hmm. and you're okay at managing the boat, right? I think you can create a seven figure business and it's not going to be this, this crazy feat. Um, is it hard? Uh, absolutely. Right. I don't know the statistics of how many businesses have done seven figures in a year, but I've never done eight figures. And mm -hmm. since I've made so many mistakes and I've been around people that have done eight figures, mm -hmm. my hypothesis is the difference between seven and eight figures is just the operations. Like they're just damn good businessmen, right? They put operators in place. They put management in place. Like they have great mm -hmm. systems. They have good processes, the ability to scale, right? They have amazing SOPs. Their culture is on point. Notice how everything I literally said had nothing to do with sales, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Lead acquisition is important and lead conversion is crucial. Yes. You need all those. But again, the point that I'm standing on is I, I think you can have a really good marketing campaign, a really good lead conversion stat strategy, dope sales team, and mm -hmm. you can just wing it to seven figures. But I really do feel like you need to be buttoned up in order to get to eight figures. That's what I'm banking on. So what do you think? And I, and I agree 100 percent with what you're saying. And again, I've never done eight figures, only seven. So hypothesis also, but I are both of ours would be very similar. So what do you think about eight to nine? What do you think the difference is there? Man, I would, I would want to say that they are really, really good at partnerships, right? So I know a lot of people that, not a lot, I know a few people that are like in the high eight figures, right? Mm -hmm. And they're just really, really good at having strategic relationships. Right. Um, so that's one thing I noticed. And then they also have gray hairs. Right. I, I think that's something that yeah. a lot of people want to talk about because it's not sexy. Like we're in this microwave society, this air fryer society where we just want shit done like that. Right. But most people that are doing, you know, high eight figures, um, I don't think I know anyone personally that I can like call or text that their business is generating you know, nine figures a year in revenue. So I, you know, I might be the wrong person to ask, 
Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, high, high eight figures, uh, that's where I'm kind of coming up with that guess between that gap, you know, to nine figures is they've just been doing it a lot longer than you think, right? Like they've been at it. Yeah. They've been at it for decades. And then they've got these dope partnerships where, you know, they have a market share in Atlanta, you know, Mm -hmm. they're, they're crushing it in Portland, you know, they've got distribution in California, right? Like they're just all over the map. Right now, are there some tech companies or some like unicorns that can get to nine (laughs) nine figures like really quick? Yeah, like there's always an exception. But they can fall from nine figures really fast too. Man, you know because they come, they they become outdated quick. Or they're not even generating a profit, right? Yeah, that's true. These nine figure companies are doing nine figures, but then it's like, okay, what's your net income? Yeah, we're, we're not going to talk about that. But we're raising money. <laughs> yeah. No, it's crazy. It's crazy. But no, I I agree with you too. I, I would add probably M&A, you know, that they, yeah, they have an ability companies. to get another entrepreneur to sell their dream essentially, yeah. you know, and that is that is probably one of the hardest things to do, right? But I've seen it, you know, and it's funny, I've seen it in roofing like four times over the past two years. Four different companies, four different entrepreneurs, you know, basically get acquired, right? And you know some of them, and um, but they had an ability to recruit the high-level key players and either buy their companies and merge them, or just recruit them from another organization to where okay, they just added ten million in revenue to their bottom line by recruiting that. You know, it's interesting you say that, man, because I have a hot take on that. Mm-hmm. I think you can get to seven figures without having the best business plan. I mean, obviously you need a business plan, right? But we talked mm-hmm. about just not having all of your systems dialed in, right. not having a great culture. Like we've done seven figures before and like looking back, our culture wasn't that great, right? Mm-hmm. I think culture matters the most when you're doing eight figures, right? That That's my guess. Like going from seven to eight that takes time, right? It takes year yeah. after year after year. Like you and I know several business owners that are doing eight figures and their culture mm-hmm. is just tight, right? Like a really, yeah. really good culture. Low turnover. In the right, right seats. And because yeah. of the culture, they stay. Yeah. Now my hot take is, dude, I, I think after nine figures, like culture doesn't matter as much. Dude, I know a lot of high paying people that work for Amazon, like really, really good, high paying, they left. They're mm-hmm. like, dude, their culture sucks, but they're so good at swallowing up companies, right? That's where yeah. I think M&A, emergent acquisitions is way more important than culture. Now they still need to have culture. I'm not saying disregard yeah. culture, but they're just like, yeah, screw your culture. How much do I yeah. need to write this check out to buy your company for? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the culture's over after that. Yeah. That's where the numbers come in. And then that's where the art form kind of yeah. dies. I yeah. feel like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you don't like your job as uh, one of this, uh, you know, C-suite, C-suite executives working for my company. Yeah. Here's some stock shares of the company. Yeah, go take yeah. your wife on a vacation. All right. Yeah. You'll be real happy when you come back. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. So we kind of got off on a, on a tangent there, but I, I want to definitely add some more value for the listeners here because I know that you're well-versed in this and, and I hear so many influencers and people that don't know what they're talking about, screw it up. But I want to hear it from an expert. How do you become your own bank? Yeah, so I want to be super, super transparent. One, I'm not a financial advisor, right? So I'm not here to push any products on you or give you okay. financial advice. Two, I would say the 
most common how to be your own bank like if you asked like some of the people in your circle that are maybe a little more savvy than others and you're like hey how do i be my own bank or you youtube how do i be my own bank you're probably going to get answers that have to do with life insurance right mm -hmm. uh, a whole life policy you know just being your own bank um you know iul some type of insurance product that allows you to essentially borrow uh, against that policy right exactly. That is one way to be your own bank, right? The way that I feel like I'm an expert at being your own bank is when it comes to a retirement account, specifically a 401k. So let's use a, a real life example, right? So we have someone that we're currently helping right now. He has, I think, 50,000 in a 401k from his old job. And he mm -hmm. needs to get his hands on like $15,000 to put into his business. He needs that 15,000 for operating capital doesn't want to borrow that money from the bank. He wants to be essentially his own bank. And how we show him how to do that is we take that 50,000 from his 401k through his old job and we convert that into what's called a solo 401k. And then Excellent. the solo 401k, so now he's got the 50,000 in his solo 401k, he can take a loan from that plan. So he basically can take the 15,000 out penalty and tax free put that in his business bank account. Now he's got that 15K as operating capital. He can use that money however he wants. Now the whole being your own bank where that comes in is that 15,000 that he took from his solo 401k as a loan, he just has to pay back within five years. And as long as he does that, there's an interest rate of prime plus about one to 2%. Interest mm -hmm. rate goes back to himself. He's just paying himself back that money. And as long as he pays it back within five years, there's no penalties, no taxes on that 15K that he took out. So this is a great way for someone to get their hands on money and use that money in a way that gives them a shot at, at, at being able to do something good with it, right? Because again, I'm not here to give you financial advice. If you take money out as a loan from your solo 401K and you use it to buy Bitcoin and it goes to, to zero, right? Like that was crap, right? You might as well just <laughs> and, and put it on black at the casino, right? So there's always going to be risk, but shoot, if you could just have another tool in the tool belt to get your hands on some money, um, accessing your retirement account penalty and tax-free using that strategy is one way to do it. No, I love it. And how easy it was for you to explain it. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I have heard the life insurance answer probably like 20 times in the last three months, you know what I mean? And nobody can explain it except for two people. You know, one of them's Jeff Smith and then the other one is Keith Goss. And so, you know, they go through more of the life insurance product side of it, but I love that you could easily explain it on the 401k side. So that's, that's massive in my opinion. And a great example is getting 15 grand for your business, you know, which I feel like if anybody has been around for a couple of years now, we went through the low of COVID. We went through the high of EIDLs and PPPs in the marketplace, right? Everybody's making a bunch of money. And now we're about to go through the low again. So that's a very, very important tool that, that Daniel just gave you guys in order to access that cash should you be going through that low again. So I think that's incredibly important. Okay, you when you do these uh, a lot of these uh, keynotes and stuff like that, it's not necessarily all the time around financial Um you know, you like to talk about how to win with the hand you were dealt. And so can you kind of walk us through maybe a, a quick outline for doing that for the listeners? Yeah, I, uh, I feel like there was a point in my life that 
just allowed me to just be who I am. And, and mm-hmm. what, I, what I mean by that is, so I'll just kind of paint a, a quick little picture. So you know, basically, I'm at a point in my life where I am 18 years old. And I just find out I'm about to have a daughter. And I'm high on Oxycontin. I've been addicted to pills for about a year now. And I'm just like in a really, really bad position, um, you know, mentally, financially, Oxycontins are like $80, $60 for the small little pill. And I'm doing one or two a day, right? I'm making a hundred grand a year, but I'm spending more than I'm making, right? And I'm just yeah. the most, you p- picture the biggest douchebag that you've ever met. That was me. I'm 18 years old. And a lot of the reason why I was making those decisions is I was dealing with a victim mentality. I was holding on to a lot of anger towards my father. Uh, because if, if we rewind six six years prior to that, I was 12. And at that point, man, Doug, I, I had a, a really, really good childhood. Uh, I don't have this story as a, a you know, a six-year-old, 10-year-old boy, you know, mm-hmm. in a foster home, homeless. Like, no, I, I lived in a cul-de-sac, middle, middle, middle class. My dad was my soccer coach. He, he took me to school. Um, had two parents in the household. It was just a, it was a great childhood. I was very fortunate. But when I was 12, my, my parents split. And my dad moved to Mexico and he never came back. And I never got answers at that time why he left and why he didn't come back. And we just stopped talking. And that that crushed me because I was like my best friend, right? Like yeah. for those of you that you know, are listening to this, that uh, were 12, 13, your dad was in your life and you were a boy, probably was your best best friend too, right? Yeah. So like that really shattered me. So then I held on to a lot of that anger growing up. You know, I started just doing really bad in middle school and high school and um, so I end up having my daughter, uh, now I'm 19 years old and I just remember having my daughter and I hold her, holding her in my hands. And I just remember thinking I was, I was still high at the time. Like I'm, I'm still using drugs at this time. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, I was just like, dude, like this feeling of being a father is amazing. Like this is my blood and mm-hmm. I know I'm a piece of shit dad right now. And my daughter is looking at me, even though she, you know, can't really think she's a, a newborn, but like, there's this bond that her and I have, and it can't be broken. But at the same time, my dad probably feels the same way. And I immediately dug, like all of a sudden my life turned around because at that point I was thinking, okay, I'm actually grateful that I had a father growing up. Like, I'm just grateful mm-hmm. that my dad was in my life. He was amazing. I'm just grateful that I actually had a father in my house. And I'm also grateful that he left because he left and yeah, he didn't show me how to tie a tie. He didn't show me how to drive. He didn't show me a lot of the things that, you know, fathers teach their kids, but man, it brought my mom and I a hell of a lot closer. Um, We struggled financially, you know, in high school, like there was times where my mom and I lived in a hotel for about a month just because finances were so tight. I'm so damn grateful for those times because it brought us closer and we have a bond, my mom and I, like, that's just like no other. And I just immediately forgave my dad. And uh, he and I are, are cool to this day. Um, you know, we got a, a group chat with, uh, you know, WhatsApp. He lives in Mexico, right? So, you know, WhatsApp is the way you talk to people in different countries. And it, it's just all love. Um, but and that was something that really uh, resonated with me. Like, okay, we can't, I didn't choose, right, to have my dad move when I was 12 years old, right? Like that was just the hand that I was dealt. And mm-hmm. I'm just grateful that that was the hand I was dealt. I mean, that hand could have been a lot worse. I know people that have had a worse hand. So just yeah. really easy to lose perspective and lose on that gratitude and have more of a victim's mentality when you just are holding on to that resentment and that anger and you just keep looking at all the bad things versus trying to find 
the good in it all. And I know it's easier said than done. Uh, I just think sometimes it takes something drastic in your life for you to come to that like aha moment. And that was my aha moment, right? Being 19 years old, having a daughter, not being in a, in a sober state of mind, the sense of, you know, I'm a piece of shit druggie at the time. I needed all that to happen to get my aha moment and uh, just super grateful for that. Man, it's a hell of a story. And what I love about that is you came to that aha moment at 19 years old. I mean, the perspective and I guess mental state that you were in at the time, you know, everything you should have continued to play the victim even after having a daughter. Right. But I think that was, like you said, that moment where everything changed for you and man, to have it happen at that age is amazing. Right. It took me probably another 13 years after that, you know what I'm saying? To have that moment where it was like, okay, I've got to change everything about the way that I operate and, and move forward like a, like I would have wanted my dad that I didn't have to do or my mom that I didn't have to do, you know what I'm saying? And so you had it at 19, which was fantastic. And, you know, I, I see the pictures and, and everything. I know you've got, uh, how many kids do you have? You have an older daughter and a younger daughter? I just got the one and, oh, okay. uh, man, I, I really just attribute it to my mom. Like I, mm-hmm. a big reason to help me, you know, kind of square up and, and get clean. I've been clean since November, 2009. Mm-hmm. But I remember like it was yesterday because I, I was not there when my daughter was born at the hospital. Like that's oh, how man. big of a spiral downhill I was going, right? Like the parents listening to this, like, I'll bet you were in the hospital, you know, watching, you know, all of that happen, right? Cutting the umbilical cord, like you were there. Like imagine not being there, right? And it's not like you weren't there because you were, you know, in the military serving your country. No, you weren't right. there because you were snorting Oxycontin, like a piece of shit, right? Mm-hmm. So, like that's something I have to live with. Um, and, and I've gotten over that. Like I found peace with that. But mm-hmm. I remember like it was yesterday, Doug, you know, about two weeks after, you know, Bella was born. Mm-hmm. My mom's like, dude, if you don't step up and be a dad and show up, like you're just doing the same shit your dad did to you. And I will mm-hmm. disown you. Dude, like I was just like, that's all I needed to hear. Cause my mom and I were really co- you know, close yeah. to that point. Right. So I was like, damn, I, I can't do that. So, and then when she said like, dude, you're just repeating the cycle. Right. Yeah. I think that's just different part version of the reason. Of it. Yeah, I think that's part of the issue that we have today as a world, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we just keep repeating the cycle, right? Like broken homes and, you know, it's yeah. a different podcast in itself. <laughs> but, you know, it's think, real. Yeah. It just I talk about it. Each and every one of us, you know, not repeating yeah. the cycle. Yeah, I talk about it all the time. That's all I did is I repeated my parents' cycle in my 20s, you know? Yeah. And uh, it took a lot. It took a divorce to come out of it. And luckily... The same woman took me back. So <laughs> it ended up okay. But, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely difficult to come to the point that we need to come to in order to get to where we want to go, you know. All right, brother. So last question. Um, and we're getting a little bit deeper here now. And I imagine this has a lot to do with what you just talked about. But, you know, what does legacy mean to you? And what legacy do you want to leave behind? Man, that's a, that's a really, that's a deep question right there. You know, I, I would say, right, it's just being able to, it's almost like getting a, an anonymous survey from people and asking those people, like, what do they think of you, right? And a lot of times, you know, we only have certain people in our life for a reason because they're people that support us and cheer us. And that's great. You want to have your your, your people that support you, but the end of the day, sometimes those people aren't giving you 
the words that are true, right? They're, mm-hmm. you know, saying certain things because, you know, they don't want to offend you or they don't want to, you know, rock the boat, ruffle the ruffle your feathers. So I think mm-hmm. it's important that you surround yourself with people that, you know, are going to tell you when you mess up, you know, they're going to tell you when you're falling short, right? So I really think it'd be a matter of the people in my life that I've been able to interact with, right? It's, it's the kids I coach on my volleyball team, my 13 year old girls. It's, um, it's, you know, the people that I run into to, um, you know, at, at the grocery store, it's my employees, it's just my cousin, it's, you know, one of my friends, uh, in a mastermind, it's, mm-hmm. you know, an acquaintance in, in a mastermind, right? It's just like, okay, if, if I were to die, like, what would those people say about me? Like, how would they describe me? Right. And since I'm dead, right, like they don't have to worry about offending me. Right. So like, right. what would that person say? Right. And I think if you start kind of like thinking about those things, um, it kind of just hits you in the feels. Right. Because when, once you're gone, right, the only thing that's left is is memories. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I want my daughter to be able to say certain things about me to her kids. Um, and, and those kids say certain things, you know, to their kids and whatnot. So I really think it's just a matter of, you know, how you are making people feel with, with every single interaction. And uh, I think we underestimate the, the times that we can interact with someone. And, mm-hmm. and like, think about this. How many times have you interacted with somebody and it was just only 30 seconds? And you're just like, dude, like that person made me feel really special. That person yeah. made me feel really good. You know, they looked at me in the eye, they asked some questions, like they actually care. On the other hand, how many times we ran into someone and it's been like a minute or five minutes and you're like, man, that person was just like a jerk, right? And maybe they were just a jerk because, you know, they just got in a fight with their wife or they just had Mm -hmm. a bad day. But like, again, that lasting impression can can really mean a ton to somebody. So I think it's just being aware of, of your interactions that you have with people and, uh, you know, just doing the best that you can to be you and, uh, you know, le- leaving that that uh, impression on somebody uh, is going to go a long way. I couldn't agree more, brother. Like the way I like to describe it sometimes is a ripple, you know, and that ripple continues forever and ever. I mean, and this is getting like scientific here, but I, I don't think anything ever really ends. You know, I mean, think about it like a sound just gets smaller and smaller to the point we can't hear it. But it doesn't mean it's not still happening somewhere in the universe somewhere. You know, you just we don't have any of the facilities or the tools to hear that sound anymore, but it continues on and on. Yeah. Right. And I think the thing, the same thing happens with our legacies, you know, is sometimes you create a ripple, you don't even realize. Right. And so like, for instance, right. And I don't want to get too morbid on you, but if you died tomorrow and I was at your funeral, somebody asked me, how did I know Daniel? You know, obviously I'd give them the boilerplate stuff, but more than anything, if I can give you a small piece of that legacy, right. It's when, I was running my marathon and I was thinking about quitting. I was thinking like, well, Daniel and Trevor, you know, obviously Trevor was already a running machine before that, but Daniel did this in six weeks. And did he quit at 18 miles at 22 miles heck at 26 at 28. And I just kept going up in my head. I'm like, surely I can run 26. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, just wanted to impart that on you a little bit and let you know that, Hey, you're doing, exactly what you need to be doing to leave that legacy that you want to leave brother. I appreciate that, man. You, it's easy to forget people are watching, right? Oh, yeah. like, sometimes <laughs> We're watching. You don't even expect, right? Like they, they're watching. So you, you definitely have uh, you know, it's, it's your duty to, to show up. Hell yeah, brother. I appreciate you so much for coming on the show. 
And um, what I love about having you on the show is the listeners get to take home a little piece of you in the form of a book. And so if you guys check out danielblue.me forward slash book, it'll be in the show notes as well. It'll be linked there for you guys. And then we'll link it in the content that we share. And you can uh, check out Daniel's book as well as his online courses there. Awesome. I, I appreciate the, you know, all the great things that you've, uh, you know, you've said, you, dude, when I was telling, um, you know, my, my guys about having you on the podcast, like one mm-hmm. thing that I really look up to you about is I did the story you tell about your wife, like, mm-hmm. man, that that's the guest that needs to be on the show, right? Is, is your wife, have you interviewed her yet? I've interviewed her, but it was specific to her business. So I I love that you're, I love that you're saying this because we have, we've been talking about it for a while and, and I was telling Ryan, my producer, and he's the one doing all the fancy stuff. Right. I was telling Ryan, my producer that, Hey, we're going to do this. Like in the next couple of weeks, we're going to start a a mini series about the restoration of our marriage. You guys should. I, I, you guys need, you're the only couple I know that has been that transparent about that happening mm-hmm. the thing about how much it's more it's happening without us knowing and how many other couples could be like dude yeah like, we're not alone like you guys could really 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 help a lot of people mm-hmm. right like a ton i mean who the hell am i going to help I, i've been married for almost 10 years and we met in first grade and have had a crush on each other since first grade who the fuck can relate to that right but, <laughs> but you guys yeah. but you guys man because every every relationship goes through ups and downs right uh-huh. so dude, you guys have a great story and um the ability to help a lot of people and uh definitely look up to you guys because uh that's it's remarkable there you go again i had forgotten about it i told ryan this last week and didn't do anything about it. So now when we get off here, we're going to schedule our first episode. Okay, Ryan? Hold me to it. it. I love it. Appreciate you, brother. Hey, likewise, Doug. All right, let's get building. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Building Great Sales Teams. We appreciate it. Be sure to execute on everything that you just heard and let's get building. Before we sign off, we'd like to invite you to join our Brickyard community. Head on over to jointhebrickyard.com. Again, that's jointhebrickyard.com or click the link in the description to find out more.